Two weeks ago, we began a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the end of the Gospel in Jesus' final days of his public ministry. What do we see of Jesus? Two weeks ago, we looked at his availability, how Jesus cared for those. Even though it's been three long years, he's still pouring himself out and meeting needs. Last week, we looked about his about his intentionality when it came to evangelism, that he's still sharing the gospel and calling people to faith all the way through. How intentional he was and how we are to be with other people. The, the word today is adversity. As we walk through these final chapters, chapters 8 through 10, before Jesus goes to Holy Week, what we're going to see over and over again, and you're going to see all of this in our passage today, it's opposition it's frustration, it's, it's even sadness that you see Jesus experience in these last moments before he enters into his holy city to give himself away for us as our ransom. It's basically just hit after hit. And what we see in the life of Jesus through this ending ministry as he finishes well, you don't see any sign of fatalism, this kind of throwing up his hands, well, what will be will be. You don't see any self-pity in him. You also don't see him, and this can be a temptation, you don't see him say, well, this is kind of the end, I'll just coast. Ever been there? I'll just get through it and I'll go through the motions. As you just keep your Bibles open, as we'll go from chapter 8 through chapter 10 this morning, I want us to just see how opposition and adversity come to Jesus throughout the close of his public ministry. Now, obviously, it comes from his enemies. You see that here. At the beginning of our passage, you've got the scribes arguing with uh, Jesus' disciples. If you go back to the very beginning, though, in chapter 1, there are lots of crowds. People are coming. It ends that chapter saying people are coming from every quarter. Crowd upon crowd. But by chapter 2, it's, it's pretty much trouble for Jesus. He forgives somebody. Wait a minute. Only God can do that. And they get upset. And then you continue in chapter 2, and he talks about two big no-nos in that culture and with the religious people of that day. Don't bring up anything about fasting and Sabbath that doesn't fit with the company line. So that by chapter 3, let me say that again, by chapter 3, verse 6, they are wanting to kill him. Huge crowds at the end of chapter 1. By chapter 3, verse 6, at the beginning of his ministry, the opposition is so strong and fierce, they're seeking not to put him away, but to destroy him. And it continues. You look at life in the middle, chapter 6. He goes to his hometown. They took offense to him. And then you've got the death of John the Baptist. Your own hometown, offended by you, the hurt of that, and then the heartbreak of John the Baptist. And then we get into these last chapters. Chapter 8, you've got the Pharisees demanding a sign. Chapter 9, our passage here, you've got the scribes arguing with his disciples. You get to chapter 10, and they're trying to test Jesus. Religious, political, there's opposition from his enemies throughout all of his ministry. But it's not just those enemies. It's spiritual warfare. And we need to keep that on the forefront of our minds as we go about our days. That the opposition is not just from this world, as Paul would say, that's, that's not really the real battle. As real as it is, that struggle, it's, it's spiritual. 
Now you go back to chapter 1, and I'll let you do that work, but you go back to, just this is just chapter 1. The temptation in the wilderness by the devil. Confrontation by somebody possessed. Scores of people oppressed by demons healed at a synagogue. And then Jesus goes throughout Galilee casting out demons. That's just chapter 1. It's basically every other chapter has some kind of spiritual confrontation. You get into the middle, it's chapter 5 and it's chapter 7. And then here you see it as well again in chapter 9. Now, as I've shared with us before, there's no room for us as we think about those things and that reality for us to have any kind of overwhelming fear, that it should never paralyze us in our faith when we think about those things. And I'll be honest with you, read through chapter 9 and what Corey just read for us. Did you hear all the things that happened? That's what I think about. I can get so hyped up about, look what's going on with this child, instead of saying, look what Jesus just did. I get obsessed about the warfare instead of the one who is over any spirit. So we're really not going to talk about what that child went through this morning. What we are going to say is, church, we can't have our head in the sands, in the sand about that reality. That's where we live It's not just battle against flesh and blood. Uh, It's to remind ourselves uh, that there is warfare around us. Never obsessed, but as Jesus reminds these disciples at the end, and by the way, I love that Mark cuts out the fasting part. He just says prayer. But he reminds us at the end, um, be praying. If you want to see victory over this, it's got to be a life of prayer. But this is a constant reality for Jesus. I even wonder, as I look at this passage, we really ought to, every time we turn the page, wince a little bit. Because you remember what Luke said. After the temptation, and temptation in Mark's Gospels chapter 1, after the temptation in the wilderness, when, did, when does the devil show up again? I think John's got him entering Judas at one point. But when does he show up again? You don't see him. But what does Luke say? He's waiting for an opportune time. Every page we should read, when's he coming back? What's the next ploy? What's the next trap? But there's no, in Jesus our Savior, yes, it's constant, but you don't see him obsessed about it. You don't see him fearful about it. He puts his authority on display, but it's a reminder for us to be wise, to be prayerful, and to be ready. To understand that is part of the battle that we fight every day. Not just flesh and blood, okay, but the principalities of the air. Opposition from enemies, opposition from spiritual warfare. Thirdly, it's not opposition, but it's constant frustration from the needs that are out there. Group after group after group takes so much of Jesus's time. Chapter one again ends with people coming from every which way to see him. And that's what you see when Jesus finishes his ministry. It's crowd after crowd, big crowds today in our passage. And you can see that frustration with this generation. And then the next chapter, uh, you've got him stopping what he's doing to have to teach these crowds. And then at the end of chapter 10, at least when the crowds came in chapter one, they brought people to be healed. You get to Jesus' final ministry and miracle in Mark's gospel, and what do the crowds do with Bartimaeus? Shut your mouth. Jesus is walking by for us. You be quiet. These crowds with their needs, these crowds with 
faithlessness, as Jesus says, here's these crowds who even turn on people uh, who are in need. Jesus can't even get to Jerusalem without an issue. Um, But here's the heartache, and here's the headache. So much of the lack of encouragement in Jesus' final ministry, but throughout his ministry, has been his it's been his friends. It's been those that he's, he's done life with. Even those closest to us can make us struggle in our faith. And it's just, it's just always something. I love St. Mark's United Methodist Church across the reservoir. Don't go there. Stay here. I love that church. Right out of college, I was our youth pastor. I was the first time they had... They had stepped out in faith to have full-time youth ministry there. So this was 1991. And they had this trip that their past youth ministers, part-time folks, had taken a spring break trip every spring break to New Orleans. They took a youth group to New Orleans. And so being new to that, I'd, you know, I'd only been there about two months, and I thought, well, I'll just do what they do and see what they do. And so we had a sign-up, and again, this youth group, we had about 30, 40 kids sign up, and I thought, well, that's really good. For spring break and as busy as kids are, we'll do this one-day trip, run down, run back to New Orleans. 30 or 40 kids, hey, we'll meet at the church at 7 a.m. I think the final number was 70 showed up. 70 kids, this church owned one van. If you had a minivan or a suburban, you hated Barry Mail because I was calling you for every trip, right? A 15-passenger van, and we'd take 100 kids to different things throughout the years, one van. So I'm on the phone calling every parent. I know it's seven. Hey, I don't want to turn these 70 kids around. Hey, Sarah, could you take work off today? And she left work. I called my old man. Hey, Dad, I know, I know you're off today at spring break. Could you? We had 70 kids. We take down to New Orleans. Somebody has a flat tire on the way. We, it takes forever. We finally get together in New Orleans. And, hey, I know you all routinely go down this certain street. We're going to do that as a first thing. We're going to get that out of the way early in the morning. Eyes forward. I'll be in the back. Nobody gets behind me. Sarah will be at the front. Nobody gets ahead of Sarah. Just walk down that certain street. Ready? We made it about 50 yards, and I heard the screams. And I saw one of my my youth running out of what I saw was a place of business and running, and then an older woman chasing her. As the story I understood later was, and I said, just walk down the street, she went into a voodoo shop. And there was a sign on the door that said, do not enter. And of course, that meant turn the handle and go in. And there was a live seance going on. And the person leading that seance chased my youth all the way down Bourbon. That was just the first hour. (laughs) Another hour after that, I had to yell at all these boys who I caught smoking. I think two hours after that, I had to talk. Uh, security people out of a mall of arresting my children for shoplifting, which they did. Uh, And then as we're finally about to leave, and I've got a list of 10 or 20. We don't have time this morning. As we're about to leave, a girl had left her purse at a mall, so we had to walk back, and we were 30 minutes late getting to the van. And, of course, when we got to the one van that we owned, it had been broken into and everything stolen. 
It's always something. It's always something. These were kids that I had invested in and tried to, tried to hey, let's have a good day today. Smoking and stealing. Breaking into voodoo shops. These are the final moments with Jesus. You've seen what happens already in the first several chapters of Mark's gospel. When you get to chapter 7, chapter 8, it's when it really is a heartbreak, the opposition from his friends. Guys, I'm going to die. They don't get it. Second time, guys, I'm going to die. They don't get it. Third time, guys, I'm going to die. They don't get it. Before that, as we talked about last week, Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. What are other people saying? Here's what they're saying. What do you say? Peter says, you're the Christ. And within minutes of that, when Jesus says, I'm going to die, what does Peter do? He uses the very word that Jesus has employed when he has rebuked sickness, when he has rebuked the winds and the waves, when he has rebuked the demonic, Peter takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. You don't talk like that. You're not doing that, Jesus. Throughout Jesus' closing ministry, when he has a need, when he's about to step into his holy city to be our ransom, there's misunderstanding There's open rebuke. You get to chapter 9. There's questions about the resurrection coming off of the Mount of Transfiguration after they've been gifted that glorious moment. They're still questioning and struggling. They're arguing at verse 34 of chapter 9 about who's the greatest. And then somebody else is casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they're going to whine about anybody else who gets to be a part of that. And then you get to chapter 10. They're not even letting kids come to me. Here I am at the close of this ministry. I've poured into them for three years, and they can't even get, bring the kids to me. And then at the end of chapter 10, James and John, we talked about this on Wednesday night. Hey, Jesus, would you please do us a favor? No. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do this for us. Period. Not question mark. Put us on either side of you in glory. Now, not only is that, to demand that, to ask that, or really tell that, but then what happens afterwards? Everybody in that group, if you're a part of the other 12, Scripture says they get hot at one another. You ever done that? Demands and people getting upset, getting into a car to go on a family vacation, you've already got the kids yelling at each other and fighting over room in the back seat, and they're already asking for this or for that. I am about to go to Jericho and then to Jerusalem. This is it. And my disciples are fighting about who's the greatest. Can they sit at either side? And they're all mad at each other. It's opposition. It's adversity. It's frustration. It's sadness over and over, even at the end. Jesus is not free from this. This kind of conflict, this kind of struggle. It comes from his enemies, it comes from the demonic, it comes from crowds, it comes from his friends, and yet Jesus finishes well. He doesn't throw his hands up in some kind of fatalism. He doesn't just coast, but he continues to invest. He continues to, we'll see next week, 
do everything the Father says to do. He cares, he reaches, and he presses through. How is it you and I, as we see it here today in our passage, but really throughout all these final passages in Mark's gospel before Holy Week, how is it you and I need to press through when we're up against it, when it just won't stop? It doesn't mean we aren't loved. There's a couple of times you remember, in the Gospels, right before his temptation and right at his transfiguration before he sets his face to Jerusalem to go and die. It's just like the Father to say, you're, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased or to tell his disciples, you listen to him. doesn't mean that Jesus was not loved because all of this just kept on. Church, it doesn't mean that the Father has pulled away love if you and I are going through it. Matter of fact, you look to his 12 disciples. That's what we're doing on Wednesday night here in the sanctuary. What do you see in their lives? Who are they? All of them go through it. All of them are martyred for their faith, except for John. And we believe even he was miraculously uh, saved from being boiled in oil and was for a while exiled to an island. They all go through it, and they're deeply loved by Jesus. It doesn't mean his love is removed, but it's it's nonstop. You get to Pentecost. They can't have the Holy Spirit for two minutes before people are whining about it or questioning that experience, and Peter has to drop a sermon on them. You get to chapter 4, and I was listening about, to a podcast uh, from Wesley's B- Biblical Seminary this week just about that uh, event in Acts chapter 4. It's the first imprisonment of the disciples. They're flogged. They're imprisoned. They get out. And what is it they say? What's their prayer? Sovereign Lord. There's no kind of, oh, where were you? There's no kind of resignation or coasting. It's, matter of fact, the word, I didn't know this, the Greek word there is not sovereign Lord. You're not going to like this word, but it's not negative like we mean it. It's where we get the word despot. You're overall. We trust you with this. We know you're, you're going to work through this. It's a beautiful picture of faith. When adversity comes, they're still trusting and still making themselves available. And then by chapter 6 of Acts, it's Stephen, the first, a lay person, not a disciple, just somebody who wanted to serve widows uh, in the book of Acts. Just let me, let me serve them. Then just a little bit later, you've got his martyrdom. And then in Acts chapter 12, James, one of the inner three that Jesus loved. He was at the transfiguration. He was at certain healings where the other disciples were not. He's the one invited to the garden with James and Peter. He's loved. And he's killed by Herod. By Acts 12, he dies quick. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not in your life. It doesn't mean that God has removed himself for you. There are times, yes, where God will discipline his children. That scripture speaks to that. But Jesus, uh, you see him living perfectly through this. You don't see any hint of, of, of frustration with God or that God's hands removed. Uh, and we shouldn't as well. So much adversity, so much conflict. And yet Jesus presses through, invests, and finishes well. How do you need to do that? Maybe, maybe it's in your faith. 
Maybe it's with somebody that has just been so hard to minister to, but God's called you to mentor that person, and you need to recommit. I'm going to finish well. Maybe it's a season in your life. Maybe it's um, a retirement, and you need to finish well. Maybe it's, maybe it's transition in work, and listen, you know some stuff. And it'd be right for you to say it, but you're going to finish well. Maybe it's you're young and you're getting married, and we need to do better in our generation and culture to do what Genesis has said for us, and that's to leave well. Uh, as, as Exodus and the Ten Commandments would say, we, we, we honor mom and dad. It's a different season, but we're going to leave well. And parents... Maybe that's a word for us in this generation, too. We're going to let them leave well. I have watched too many young couples whose marriages have struggled because mom and dad won't let them leave. How is it you and I need to finish well? Where is that? We've had um, so much loss in our church family. Some of it just is heartbreaking loss um, with people who have like Dr. Reed, people who are dying young. And it's, and it's a reminder to us to, to make sure in those seasons to finish well. And this, this is a pastoral word. I'm just gonna, I've said it once to you before, but I'll say it again and I'll be quiet about it. But it's part of the reason I had John Branning come and preach for us a couple of months ago is we have too many uh, people, and this isn't recently, this is just from years of ministry, but there's been too many families that I've walked with uh, through a hard season where somebody has not made their intentions clear to their family. And it's created chaos and brokenness for decades. You and I need to prepare well. Our hearts need to be ready. That's what we talked about last week. We need to get our families ready. I have sat across the table with too many families where they can say, they have said, I don't know anything about mom or dad's faith. We need to talk about our faith. We need to talk about it. That's, that's what Deuteronomy, you talk about it all the time to be able to bring that up. Or their intentions were not known about funeral arrangements or, or things they wanted to do for, for family or for church. Get it right now because I have seen the fallout and the brokenness and the years of watching family members mad at each other because the one who had left did not finish well. They had not shared what their intentions were. They were not clear about it. How is it you and I need to finish well? To, 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 to see the ministries we've been given. And listen, any, any kind of ministry you and I are doing in the last two years, we've taken hits. It's just been a hard season of trying to adjust and trying to keep connection with small groups and, and classes and with church and with ministry and with missions. Keep pressing through. Jesus beautifully puts that on display. With needy crowds, even in spite of spiritual warfare, even because of people trying to frustrate that, or even in just the stuff we go through as church family. We're just going to go through it. If Jesus went through it, we're going through it. But he finished well. How is it you and I recommitting ourselves to the kingdom work we've been given? We'll stay close to God, stay in prayer and say, Lord, what do you, what, what do you have me to do?
What would give, not me, as we see the disciples doing here, what would give you the glory? What would please you? Let's pray about that. Father, as we see your son, who has stepped out of heaven for us, just walk into need after need on purpose, we give you praise for his heart and for his life. Father, as we see him walk into adversity and opposition, to experience frustration, to, to, to know heartbreaking sadness, Father, we give you praise for his life. And we pray that his life would be our life. We pray that, that his heart would be our heart, that his commitment to ministry and to people and to press through, that that, that would be ours as well. Father, we do pray for your continued strengthening, that the Holy Spirit would fill us so that the people you place in front of us, the opportunities that you gift to us, that we would finish well with them. Thank you for this word. Bless now our response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.